SharePoint. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? I heard a bunch of it's colds in here, so we turn the air off a little bit. It's nice to be with you all. Hope you're doing well. It's nice to see your smiling faces. But uh, if you want, we'll uh, stand up and we'll sing some songs. Father, we love you. Uh, we're here because of you, here for you. Uh, so I pray today as we praise you, as we hear your word, that we grow closer to you, to each other. Uh, we pray for Leonard as he brings your word. And for us as we hear it, God, uh, may it just work in us more today. And bring us closer to you. Uh, we love you. Um, we're here for you because you loved us first, God. And it's amazing and crazy when we think about. And we are eternally grateful, God. As we praise you with these words, this song, um, may it be a joyful noise unto you.
peace that endureth thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow blessings all mine with ten thousand Kids, you can go up to your wing. Well, how's everybody doing? We're kind of in pre-summer mode, and I, I tell you what, I love it. It's so nice to go outside and just see the radiance of God's glory. And you probably hear me say that every Sunday. You're like, is he on that again? Well, seven months of Ohio winter, you know, I just can't help it. I've been anticipating this for a long time. And I just love the fact that you can get outside, you can enjoy God's creation, and we can have gatherings, we can do lots of fun things. And I spent seven months thinking about that. And I don't know about you, but whenever uh, I engage with the yard or see a tree that needs to be chopped down or something, initially out of the gate, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to tackle it. And then I realize just how out of shape I am from you know, not doing much for seven months. But, you know, when we gather in this worship setting, the goal is to prepare us for the new creation. And God is at work in your life and mine getting us ready for that. But he's already bringing it to bear upon the moment. And as we live for him and in his kingdom, we structure our lives around him and his will and purpose for our lives and live under his reign and rule. And that's really what we do as believers. Uh, we trust that God is faithful and that he reigns and that he's reliable and that he will provide. And with all of that, uh, he says, I have work for you guys to do. And we have to put our ear to uh, 
the, the, that spiritual space and ask, what, Lord, do you want us to do? And so coming into our announcement time, I just want you to look on your message notes, which are a little different today, but on the back of this big graphic that you see here, a couple of things. I uh, want to remind you, don't forget that we are having uh, today the trampoline park trip, and then there is the awareness night that Kendall spoke about last week uh, when we gathered for human trafficking here at, uh, at, at the church. And uh, it's, it's going to be a really good, I think, moment for us to attend to and ask the question, God, what is First Christian's role here? And I, and I think that God has a role here uh, in some form as it unfolds. So if you can join us tonight, we'd really love to have you guys with us. Uh, I can't remember, Kendall, the judge's name who's going to be speaking. Do you remember her name? DeSalvo. Okay, yeah. So it should be good, and there's some worship alongside that. So just uh, keep in mind those two things, and then do book your peepers on this, okay? And then after that, uh, I'd like to just mention again, we have, after our worship gathering, uh, just invite you into the studio if you want pastoral prayer or anything is on your heart. Uh, we want to be praying about whatever need you have, any way that we can help you with anything. Uh, that's what we're here for. Um, so we're, we're kind of doing that for a little bit and uh, seeing how it goes. But at the end of the day, I know we have prayer warriors here that like to write down the prayer concerns. And so if, uh, if we don't, if you're not able to get them, please see me and, and I want you to be praying for uh, all of the needs. Um, so we're working on that. Um, and that said, uh, let's go ahead and let's ask God to join us. Would you bow with me? Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your word and we ask you to speak to us through it, we thank you for pulling us into this space this first day of the week. We thank you for our friends who are joining us online and for just the privilege of worship. Lord, you are our creator and we are created beings that are designed to live and move and breathe, not only under your lordship, but by your design and your creational purpose. And Father, we live in a world that is just sideways in every way. And as we try to navigate, we need your wisdom today. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us and help us to be the people that you call us to be. We pray for your blessing upon all the things that we've mentioned, especially our gathering tonight. And we pray for souls that are trapped, that they could find in you a new freedom in Christ. And if there's anyone here today, Lord, that needs to know that freedom and needs to know that salvation and that deliverance and that hope, I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would just bring about that sense of what we need and what you provide. So thank you, Lord, for that. And I pray, Father, that our hearts, our minds, our spirits be in tune with you. So be with us now as we pray together the Lord's Prayer. Would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, well, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that I've really puzzled over over, uh, over the years, trying to figure out what exactly is this, ver- these, this, this paragraph or this parable talking about. And I've wrestled with it, and as we're getting ready to get into it, I think you're going to find that there are at least 16, if not 20 different interpretations of what this parable is about. So it is a little bit unclear, but I think, I think, I, I think I understand it, and maybe that's being arrogant, so I pray that the Lord humbles me if not. And so I'm, I'm excited about going into it today because it has a lot to say about the times that we're living in, the way of life that the world has scripted out for you and I and said, these are the rules. And I don't know about you, but it seems like a lot of things are breaking down, and one of them happens to be the rules of the world don't seem to work so well anymore. And I have to think there is some connection between the world kind of losing its mind and the diminishing of the presence of the church in our culture. And a lot of pastors are saying as they're reporting about data, you know, a lot of churches came back from the pandemic, and they're, they're, they're 50%, 60% of what they were before. And something happened, and I don't know what it was exactly, but my fear is that, If anything, maybe it's because we haven't been as deeply rooted in the things of God as we need to be. And I think you guys are here because those roots were there, and they've they've sort of stuck, and they've they've kept you here. My wife and I just bought, I took a tree out uh, this spring. That's part of my workout, and that's part of the reason why I had to take a nap afterwards and then recover for five days, but took a tree out because the wind was blowing it over like that, and we finally just pulled it out and, and, and got rid of it. My wife said, we need to plant another tree there. So $120 later uh, from a trip to Parks, which was just like, hey, let's just go check out some stuff. Um, we planted a tree, and a little skinny thing. Steve and I put it in the ground where the other one was, and I thought, you know what? This tree does not have a chance when the wind comes. Because I, I kind of moved it, and I'm like, the roots are like that deep, and the tree's like that big around. It's about 10 foot tall. And I thought, you know, one wind comes, and bam, on the ground, dead. 120 bucks out the window. So I staked it up. I put three posts in around it, tied string around it, was very careful to ensure that it had everything that it needed to survive and thrive. And so yesterday when the wind was blowing, I was looking out the window. How's the tree doing? How's it doing? How's it doing? And uh, the string held. So I'm hoping that the roots are going to anchor in and it's going to thrive. But I know in the very same way, nature has an uncanny way of speaking to us about the things of God. And our rootedness in Christ will say a lot about how we do when the storms come. And Jesus, as he's going through this series of parables and teachings on his way to Jerusalem, is hoping to establish deep enough roots in his followers and the people that will come after them, including us, that the things that he's teaching 
help you and I to be anchored in the truths of God. Now, you and I know that the world doesn't play fair, that it has its own rules, and that is actually a way of life in many ways it says there is no God. Now, you can go to church and be religious, but there's no God. And essentially, the world is trying to offer all the answers that we need for life, but it seems like the storm has come, and the world's ability to sustain us is not working very well. And we live in a moment where I think we have to revisit what it is that you and I truly believe. But sometimes we see things best in contrast to other things. So I want to show you a picture for a second. Before I get into the text, this is the world, and it's from the United Nations. And the idea is that we're a whole bunch of nations together. But notice there's a cage around the world. This is from the United Nations. I'm not, I'm not going into any kind of conspiracy stuff here. I'm just saying that there's a cage around the world that says the world is ruled and governed by all of these nations and my guess is most of them are not deeply rooted in the things of God. And because of that, and because that's basically the way it's been almost since the time of, of, uh, of the beginning of the Bible, God has always had this sense that I created that world, I created it for every good thing that I've, that I've managed to, to put into it that works together. And the crowning achievement is I've put people in that world to run it. And right about now, he's looking at the world and he's saying, it ain't working so well. But he's been saying that, especially the moment that Jesus showed up on the landscape. And Jesus came to give us an alternate vision of the world. Because the world has rules, and Jesus has been upending those rules and let me, just, let me just give them to you real quickly. On the back of your notes, you'll see this. So I know you guys may be tired, uh, but hopefully this will, this will stimulate your thinking. If not, then you'll get a refund. So if you look at this picture, when Jesus came into the world, he was not of the world. And he came preaching the kingdom, and he said, there is a domain that I want you to live in in reference to, and that is the lordship of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. And in that domain, we're going to live in the world but not be of the world. We're going to be defined by the kingdom and the kingdom's values, okay? And so if you're with me so far, it basically just means you and I leave this place, and when we think about our lives, we're asking the question, what does Jesus have to say about everything, every decision, everything that is important to me as a priority? What does Jesus have to say about those things? And what I found after 30-some years of asking that question, he has a lot to say, and it makes all the difference in the world. And I still trust that inside that place called the kingdom, which is inside this world, which is very broken, is a place where good things happen. And I want to be a part of that, and I want you to be a part of that as well. But if you dig deeper into this a little bit, you'll find that there are rules that are of the world, and there are rules that are of the kingdom. 
And if you look at, and if you look carefully, uh, and if you want to flip that over and look at this for a second, if you look carefully, you'll see a contrast between the world's rules and Jesus' rules. And I got and I got to draw these out to understand this this message. So here we go. The world rule says there is chronic and fear, chronic fear and uncertainty at all times. Am I right? The world says peace is temporary and circumstantial. You probably heard that story about there's only been a few years in the history of humanity where there's absolutely been no wars at all. And if you and I have peace in this world, it's because, hey, all of a sudden, things are just calmed down. But typically, there's hostility and threat. That's why the bulk of our taxes goes to support arms, trying to protect ourselves. It's a bad, evil world out there. And then when you look at people, according to the world, we are each categorized by some ranking system that says you are that. And many times, there is a, there's a pecking order of who fits where. That's the world. Scarcity is a thing because you saw the cage around the world. There's only a finite amount of money and resources and things, so we all got to fight over it. And we got to be afraid if we don't have enough, and the fact of the matter is, um, how much more do you want? Just a little more. Power belongs to the wealthy, the entitled, the connected, and people at the top. The rest of us have to more or less do what we're told. My son... Stephen received a letter from the IRS yesterday, and it didn't have any money in it. And I said, oh, you got one of those. I get one of those every once in a while. And usually it's somebody in the bureaucracy saying that, well, we've done some calculations, and you owe us $19.50. Pay up, or we will levy charges against you. So I was kind of waiting for him to open it up, and it basically said this. We are writing this letter to inform you that you're about to get another letter. <laughs> I'm like, really? What kind of nonsense is that? Well, I think they're, I said, Steve, they're just playing with you because that's what they do. He said, it's so funny. When my kids first started paying taxes, they looked at their check. They looked at what they made. They're like, I don't like this. And I'm like, well, you better get used to it because it is the way it is. That's the world. And there's a few more things that I want to compare, but I want to contrast it with the kingdom. Because the kingdom says every day in that, in that circle, in that place, we trust Jesus, not just as our Savior, but as our king. Maybe you could insert the word president, but I think king is better here. And we trust him. We have faith that he is more than able to help us with the problems that we face in the world and in our lives. Not only that, we live in this domain where there is a peace that passes all understanding. It guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And if you're not experiencing the peace that passes all understanding... As a believer, 
then there's work to do because you should. No matter what the circumstances are, God is teaching us to trust him. Everyone, when we look at another human being, our first categorization isn't, oh, they're white, they're black, they're Latino, they're poor, they're rich, they're, you know, they're beautiful, they're ugly, whatever you want to say. When Jesus looks at you and I, which is the same way that he wants us to look at each other, he sees something special. He sees no matter where we are, where we come from, how broken or damaged we are, he sees a beauty there, a dignity that says, God made you. You are made in his image. And for a lot of us, we're like, yeah, but. God says, no, yeah, buts. If you are in Christ, you become a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And there is no scarcity with God as a provider. I, don't, I can't underscore that enough. A lot of you guys, and myself included, had to settle during the pandemic. Things are going to change. We got inflation. We have all these things. And sure, times can be difficult and challenging. But if God watches over us and we pray for our daily bread... God says, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. Relax. Because we have work to do. We have a very broken world that needs to hear the message that you carry. So scarcity isn't a huge concern. Now, I'm not saying you don't work. But I am saying that you remember people from the World War II generation? You go in their house, what would you see? Hoarding, right? Some, many. And the fear is, what if? What if? What if? But for us, it's, but God. But God. So let's go back to the world rules for a second, because I want you to bake this in a little bit. Because we're going to leave here, we're going to go into this space called the world, and it is oriented towards self-interest and self-preservation. And that really is our primary concern. I hope, we, I hope we make it through the recession. I hope we make it through inflation. I hope we make it through our job. I hope I make it through whatever that thing is. And we're constantly thinking, yeah, I believe in God. I trust Jesus for my salvation. But I got I to gotta do what I got to do to save my hide. And that's how the world thinks. And relationships are based on honor and shame that is, it's really about what is honorable, what's accepted, what is the thing that is the value that changes from place to pe- place and person to person. But the person at the top of the food chain says, you better honor me. And if you don't, there's shame. And we kind of make up our own ideas about what we honor and what we shame. But the bottom line is, every relationship, according to the world, is about what I can get from you and what you can get from me. The end. And when a person is looked at, they want pride, recognition, fame, 15 minutes, YouTube influencer. That is more important than anything. Character? Yeah, that's a distant 
20th. And then there's worth. I'm valuable because I look around and I heard bad news about this person. I'm kind of glad it happened to them because I feel pretty good about myself now. You ever had that impulse? That doesn't come from the Lord. That comes from being conditioned by the world to say, hey, you got it better than other people. Hey, you're wealthier than other people. Hey, you got better advantages than other people. Hey, you got more smarts or more looks or more whatever as you look at other people. And the only way that you can find value is to devalue others so that you look good. Does that sound about right? Okay, I hope I'm not off track here. Because all of this stuff matters. Jesus came into the world and he saw us living under the slavery of all of this stuff. Because some of us wake up every day and we ask the question, what are people going to think? What are people going to think? And then our whole day is governed by our, the responses of other people to us. And whether we're approved or whether we're not approved. And we just hope at the end of the day, we've made everybody happy. Well, my question is, who or what is controlling your life? And I'm not putting anybody down for doing that because we all do that to some degree. And that's what the world says. We want you to define your life by what we think. And Jesus came into your world and mine to tell us the only person that really truly defines your life that is of utmost priority. I'm not saying that you don't, you don't think or care about what other people think. You should. Is God. When God looks at you, he says, I made you in my image for a purpose. And I want you to live life under my rule, knowing that you are secure, you are provided for, and you can be strong and thrive in me as a human being and do whatever it is that I've designed and called you to do. The world says, uh-uh-uh, you may be good at, let's say, art, but you'll never make it, so better get a job as a, and I don't want to diminish anybody's job, better get a job as a bricklayer. Or insert the, hey, I'd like to do this, but I got to do that. Now, I'm not saying that you don't have to do that a little bit as we live in this world, but I honestly believe that God put something inside of each of us that is a strong impulse, that almost has a genius-like quality to it, that says, you, I made you for this. You're really good. I believe that. But I also know that the world says, we're going to smack you down every time. And when Jesus redefines your life and mine, he knows that in this world, we're going to have trouble. We're going to struggle. But there is a new creation to come, and that's where we're going to fit. And in the meantime, we've got to start living by the rules of the kingdom. And here's a few more. Serving others rather than self-interest and self-preservation. And thinking about how can my life be a blessing for other people. Because when you go into that self-preservation mode, it's just a continually negatively reinforcing cycle of insecurity and scarcity. 
when you go into that serving mode, it's like, oh, man, I feel good. I did something for someone else, and I feel like I'm in my best place as a human being. That's not an accident. Our king empowers us to do good for other people. We think about, I am powerless to do anything because powerful people dictate my life. Jesus says, no, by, your, by my spirit, I'm going to empower you to do this stuff. You know, I, I'll give you just a weird example. I'm not a good singer at all. But, so I'll come in here and I'll say, Lord, these guys are singing. I want to sing with them. Holy Spirit, help me to sing. And for some weird reason, stuff comes out of me that isn't my normal stuff. It's just God empowering us because we live in his kingdom. We live under his rule and his domain. And the spirit is our gift to enable us to thrive in that space. And when God looks at us, he says, I'm not really concerned about fame as much as you broadcasting my name to other people. But I am concerned about you having a good character. Because there's nothing worse than going into a space where the person is of a sketchy character. I'm going to pick on somebody for a minute, and that is I have relatives. One of them is a kind of an in-law who has a sister. Toxic, toxic, toxic. And we're going to visit this relative. And the first question is, is so-and-so going to be there? Because if she is, busy that day. Because everything about that experience will have her toxic, godless. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to be judgy, but she is just intentionally a turmoil junkie. And I said, it won't matter what conversation we have, she'll ruin it. Because she has consistently. I would love to see her come to the Lord, find a new headspace. And live in the beauty of being made in God's image. I would love to see that. But I'll tell you what, I wouldn't want to spend forever with her. <laughs> I would feel like, well, you know what, I'd preach the word and stuff, but I must have tripped up somewhere and God said, well, this is, this is your destiny. It's one of the rings of hell. God is concerned about us being in that good Jesus headspace heart space so that we can be together forever. I hope you catch that because much of what Jesus has said about the kingdom up to now is about that. And there's just one more thing I want to say about kingdom rules. The worth that God sees in you is your true valuation. You know, it's not antique roadshow. I think that's worth about $50. But we it's a family heirloom for 300 years. Nah, it's okay, 45. You know, God says, I'm going to give you the true value of your life. And it's this. My son, in exchange for yours. That's pretty significant. When you go somewhere and everybody makes you feel inferior, 
Well, I'm, I'm like, okay, I got Jesus over here, and I got you over here. I'll take Jesus. But I'll love you, because that's what Jesus would do. All right, so everybody clear on all this stuff? Okay, so here's where we're going with this. Because Jesus is helping the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, but also the people that are broken, like tax collectors and sinners, to be able to see something about God's posture towards us that they didn't see. And in that series of parables, he's calling people to see the world and to see other people and to see God in the right way. And so what he's doing, Jesus is calling people. He says, follow me, follow me. And he's not just saying, hey, we're going to Jerusalem so I can get crucified and you guys can get scared off. No, it's larger than that. That's part of the plan. But ultimately, I am here because I'm reclaiming this. This has been stolen, and there's a liar running it, and he's fed you a lot of propaganda. And i got to shake you up a little bit to get you to see that. And so he says, follow me, because you're going to shake them up with me. And so he calls them into his kingdom and into his mission, and his goal is to align our character, our hearts, our minds, our will with the characteristics that define his kingdom. I mean, when people see you, they should see him. And I know we all have flaws, and we're all work in process, but increasingly, who we are should be representative of where we live. And if you live in the kingdom, you start thinking that way, you start behaving that way, you start looking at people differently, and they can't figure it out. And Jesus' strategy is for us to become effective effective agents for the kingdom. Some people have said, why don't you just give up on the church? It's full of broken and dysfunctional people. It's losing game. And I would say the only game that's lasted 2,000 years that I'm aware of, including the Olympics, is the church. Because God takes the broken and he shines through their lives. Because we take our brokenness to him and he transforms it into ministry. And so if you've had, like Rachel's mentioned, problems with bulimia, then she says, Jesus, help me with that. And I can help you know his help. It's that kind of stuff that says, I'm not interested in preserving myself. I'm interested in helping you to see him. So he's pulling us along this road. And I'm not sure that the church has done a tremendously good job at helping us to wrap our minds around it. But I hope in my watch that we can do that. Well, as Jesus is describing this, he says, there's lost people. And I just told you a parable about heaven rejoicing when lost people are brought into the kingdom. And I want to tell you now about how a lost person operates 
under the rules of this world. And I want you to compare these two stories, the prodigal son and the parable of the unjust manager. So here we go. Tell me if you've ever read the story and said, I don't get this parable, but here, here it is. So in Luke chapter 16, verses 1, it says, He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his, his, his possessions. And he called him, and he said to him, What is this that I hear about you? You've been taking everything that I've given you, and you've been abusing it. And so as he tells this parable, he says, turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manage manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? So he's having a little internal conversation. What am I going to do? He's kicking me off the team. I don't have any money. And so he says, I got to, I got to, I got to, I got to come up with a plan. And he says, I can't dig. I can't drive a truck. I can't beg. I can't do anything physical. I'm going to be living in a van down by the river. Well, he said, here it is. Here it is. I've decided what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to, Make sure that when that moment comes, I get my termination papers. I'm removed from management and probably will never get a good reference ever again. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to at least think about my own security. So when I'm removed from, the, from management, people may receive me into their house. That is, they'll take care of me while I get my, get my act together again. So summon, summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? Guy responded, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Let's just say he owes me $100,000. Just give him 50 and let's call it a day. And I'll say paid in full. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of, of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and he's got the money. Write down 80. And so he's being shrewd there. Then the master commended his, his dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Now, as Jesus is telling the story, he's showcasing what people do under the rules of the world to survive, to save their hide. They're shrewd. They're crooked, and what doesn't get seen doesn't get told because nobody's here to account us for it anyway. And the shrewd master is looking at this manager and saying, look, we all do it. We all kind of fudge on the books. We all kind of do things to get ahead. But you've been stupid about how you've done it. And now it's come to the surface. People can see it. It is obvious. We can't have that going on. It wasn't that he did something wrong. It's that he, got, he was, got careless and he got caught. How do I know that? 
Because when the master saw his shrewdness, he said, that's the kind of mindset that you're supposed to have. Why weren't you doing that stuff? Because it wasn't his money to do that with. It was somebody else's money. But you know the master's done that same thing to save his own hide. So this has got crooked written all over. And that's why I've struggled with this. Because typically these parables, when you say master, you think God. But Jesus is contrasting the sons of light versus the sons of darkness. And as he's telling these two stories, there is a point of comparison. And Jewish people, they not only hear words, but they pick up the patterns a lot quicker than we do. We just hear words a lot of times. And so I I just want to look at what Jesus says. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. Seriously? Seriously? Does that sound like anything he said before? Hey, make friends by means of unrighteous wealth. When I've been talking about righteousness ad nauseum, but in the world, it's okay to connect with, no, he's saying, yeah, make friends like they do by means of unrighteous wealth because that's how they survive so that when it fails, so that when it fails, and it'll fail you, they, your friends that you've just said, hey, you know what, I need a place to stay, and they may say, huh? I saved you $50,000. Oh, come on in to my eternal dwelling because this is about as eternal as it gets. Now, this is how I read the parable, and 16 other people look at it differently. But I just see it as sarcasm. I see Jesus saying, you follow the rules of the world, and it will still get you nowhere. It will not provide for you. It will not be the answer. It will not give you something that will give you a, a resource for the rest of your life because you, I've done tons of funerals. And I've never seen anybody buried in a casket full of cash. I've just seen a lot of relatives not speak to each other afterwards. And I've never seen a person's house that's been around forever. I've seen some old ones, but... If you're like my house, when the guy I bought it from gave it to me, says, here, it's your problem. I'm like, every day got to fix my problem. Because if I don't, then it falls apart because it's not eternal. And Jesus is being sarcastic because he wants to make a point. That if you invest your life according to the ways of this world, it will get you nowhere. It may seem like it will provide all the answers, but the world overpromises and underdelivers. It has since the fall. You know, when the tempter said, hey, if you do this, and then desire kicks in, and I did it. But then the, the tempter had another statement that was sort of like on the other side of it. Yeah, you got it, didn't you? How was it? Not as good as I thought. You broke God's law? Because the tempter loves to seduce us in, say, this is so good, and then he loves to pile on after the fact. So one thing I know about sin is it is very tempting. But I also know on the backside there's an accuser that says, I run the world, you screwed up, I'm in control of your life. Do what I say. Does that make any sense at all? I hope I'm not being too abstract here. 
Because the devil wants to put us in a place where we are so burdened with shame and guilt and worthlessness. I can't go to church. They have no idea the stuff I've been into. Well, we read the story of the prodigal son last week, and probably half of us have said, yeah, I've been that guy. The other half, I've never done anything wrong. And so when Jesus points out these two stories, there's some people caught up in the world. And what he's trying to do is he's saying, don't get caught up. However, one who is faithful in very little, who just says, in the secrecy of their own life, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Nobody's going to see it. Nobody's going to celebrate it. Not going to get any attaboys. Not going to get any accolades. I'm just going to do it. Because it honors God. God sees that and he says, hey, I can trust you. I can trust you. Why are so many people having a hard time finding employees for their business? There's a lot of people that just says, hey, you're important, but other things are more important. Now, again, I'm painting with a broad brush. I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but I want you to know this. God is looking at everything that you and I do, and he's not here to condemn us because we don't, we don't really see God condemning people in Scripture. We see God convicting people, but the devil is the one who con- condemns. And God says, I want you to be convicted about this. That's why I'm telling you this story. Some of you guys, I've said, follow me. But when it gets right down to it, you're like the manager. That's business. This is church. They're different. But God says, no matter what you do, I see it. I see your heart. I see your duplicity. I see you be one person over here, and I see you be another person over there. And God wants integrated human beings who take every thought captive for Christ's lordship. He wants us to be the same person here as we are there and there and there. But the world says, you're this here, you're that there, you're that there, because this is an honor-shame system. We have expectations, and that will define you. That sounds like schizophrenia, if you ask me. And I honestly believe Jesus came to set us free from that. This guy, the shrewd manager, how's he doing? How's he pulling this off? He's making up stories as he goes to fit whatever he needs to fit so that everybody's happy. But Jesus isn't making up stories, he's telling stories to make a point. And as we're reading this, he's saying, I want you guys to follow me. And I don't want you to be those people that are caught up in those ways because that's what we're coming to undo. And so if you're faithful in a little, it tells me that you're in. And one who is dishonest in a very little tells me that, given the right conditions, you'll be dishonest in whatever. If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you? Because I got you in this world, and the world says, 
we got rules, and we want you to live by these rules, and I got to do it to survive, got to do it to self-preserve. God says, but you prayed the Lord's Prayer on Sunday. You asked me for daily bread, which is kind of a metaphor as well for just provide for me, Lord. Hard world. And I know that my, my version of provision and yours may be different, but you have reasons for providing the way that you do. I got to trust it. So here's, here's, here's how I make the comparison, just real quickly. You have, you have two guys. You have a younger son who went off to Vegas, took half the farm, and his money and friends ran out at the same time. You got a guy here who's getting a little greedy, steps over the line, and he also gets kicked out of the game. And so when you look at these two brothers, they both have self-serving behavior. Both the younger son and the manager, they squander the wealth. That's the charge. And it's not even their stuff. Both characters realize that the only course of action is to cozy up, that is to suck up to people who can help them for selfish and self-preservational means. Probably never seen that before. Both reflect significant and self-interest depicted through uh, basically saying, I got a plan. I got a speech. Here's my speech. Both the son had a speech. This guy had a speech. Jesus saying, pay attention. And both are in search of physical provision and shelter. Where am I going to live? I'm out here with the hogs. Where am I going to live? I'm kicked out of my job. I'm going to lose my, my home. My mortgage isn't going to get paid. Who's going who, to put me under the roof? Both are ultimately approved by the person whose wealth they squandered. Okay, I stole your money, squandered it, and you're saying it's okay. Well, we know that the father says, because I'm not as concerned about the money as I am your soul. The wealthy master said, hey, you done good. That's what I would have done. How come you could have done that stuff earlier and colored within the lines? The master was as dishonest and crooked as the day is long, and he approved the crooked behavior of what would be the behavior of a person in the crooked world. But the father... Father, the older brother saying, okay, let's, let's do the math, Dad. We had a farm. It was profitable. He took half of it by saying to you, drop dead. Because typically you weren't supposed to get that until after you were dead, and he's saying, I can't wait. Just die now so I can have it. Father gave it to him. The older brother's looking at the father and saying, you know what? People at the grain elevator, when they gather for coffee, they are saying about you, he's losing it. That was an idiotic move. Just gave up half the farm to a son who has sketchy character, and sure enough, what did he do? Went to Las Vegas, had to hitchhike home. And the father said, I've got a concern here. That is not your concern. 
yeah, I broke a bunch of social honor, shame mechanisms. People probably look at me now like, that guy was a guy to follow when it came to managing a farm. Now he's an idiot. I'm not being respectful, disrespectful to God. I'm just saying that in the world's categorization of his behavior, they saw the father as a fool. And the father said, we're not playing by the wisdom of the world here. We are about sitting down at the table and having our son back, your brother. There's nothing else in the world that matters than that. I would give away the whole farm just to have And Jesus is trying to shake us up a little bit because he's saying, don't follow the world's rules. But let's look at the characters that follow the world's rules real quickly because we're, we're about to end. Prodigal son, older brother, dishonest manager, his clients, dishonest master. All those guys lived in... Wait for it. <laughs> the world. But who else lived by the world's rules? Pharisees. There's a pecking order. We're at the top. There's power over your life religiously. We hold it. There's scarcity. Yeah, we're making money. But we're performing a religious duty. All this stuff that is conveniently rationalized world rule behavior. They're scribes, same. Religious establishment, same. Roman rulers, why would you question it? Then there's these guys. The father, who's actually a metaphor for God. Jesus, our king. They live in this space called the kingdom. And they want this space to expand because they're taking the world back. And they're using it with that third category of people, you and I, the people of God. But if you know, a very badly done graphic artist did this graphic, me, and I kind of blurred it a little bit because some of us are in the kingdom and we're very definite about the boundaries. Now, we trip up. And so when we do, there's a little bit of blurring there. And some of us, we blur it a lot. I go to church, but I behave like the world. In church, I have rules. In the world, I've got other rules. And Jesus says, the more you're identified with the rules of the world, the less you're able to be an agent for the kingdom. I'm not trying to go all rigid and fundamentalist here. I'm just saying, let's just surrender our lives to Jesus every day. Because he's got answers to all this stuff. And we just got to ask him. And maybe ask the church for help. But that's why we are the people of God together. That's why anybody can come to this church and be a part of a worship gathering and not be viewed as, hey, you know what? You're from a 
a wealthier caste, so we're going to treat you good. Or, yeah, you should take a bath and probably sit out there with those guys. God's saying, no, you are all made in my image. And not 99% of you, but 100% of you. I want everything that has been stolen from me back and put in its right place, put in its right mind, put in its right creational purpose. And God, above all else, is above relationships. And put in a good relationship with me and each other. As Jesus is looking at his followers, he has a question in the back of his mind. And he's really concerned because he's, he's really looking at them because the scripture says you got the tax collectors and scribes, you got the, or tax collectors and sinners and scribes and Pharisees over here. But in this parable, it says Jesus was talking to his disciples. But in reality, as he's talking to them, he's also speaking to them. And they're listening. And the question for you and I, in this moment, where the world is showing its hand, is Jesus your king? So here are the people that Jesus is looking at. He's saying, I'm concerned. There's a lot at stake here. I'm going to go and be with the Father. I'm leaving you. The Holy Spirit's going to enable. And I want you guys to be in concert with the footsteps that I've laid out with you. And the Holy Spirit will empower that along the way. But the more you kind of deviate from that, the Holy Spirit will say, I'm with you, but I can't help you with that. I, I, I'm not going to anoint that. I'm not going to honor that because that's not God's way. But I also think, as we read this parable, he's saying, I hope you're done with the over-promising and the under-delivering of everything the world's been telling you. I hope you know I've come to bring you life and life eternal. I've come to give you waters of refreshing. I've come to restore your soul and your life. I've come to give you a promise that one day everything will be made right. I believe that. And as we gather, I hope you do too. Because Jesus is calling us in this moment to him. Now after I've, as, as I'm done, if you want to meet me in the studio afterwards and talk about that, I'd love to help you. Because as we learn well the way of life in God's kingdom, we don't want Jesus to be afraid anymore that we'll behave like people have for centuries, but rather embrace God's kingdom and God's values. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I just pray that um, the words that I've said have been honoring to the parable that you spoke. I preach this in humility, not really sure exactly what you were trying to say 2,000 years ago, but I hope that what I've offered is in con concert with what you see as important anyway. But Father, beyond that, it's really about everyone here. 
and what you're doing in each of our hearts. So continue to stir us up. Make us discontent with those things that we have embraced for so long that leave us empty. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would build a bridge, foster a relationship with everyone in this room. And if there's anyone here, you did that too once and they've kind of lapsed, I pray, Father, that this would be a season of refreshing and revival. That there would just be a new breakthrough for our church, for us together to be the people that you call us to be. Help us, Lord, in that way because apart from you, we can't do it. So thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word and its nourishing qualities. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to open your communion now, there's some space to do that. Um, out of what we heard today, I thought of Psalm 1. It's just six verses as we're opening our communion. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Out of what we heard today, I don't think that the uh, unrighteous manager would have been this man. But his delight, the righteous man's, is the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He loves what God says. That's the way. That's his way. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. The son comes home, and he, he finds this. He finds refreshment. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. That congregation is made out of those who were previously unredeemed sinners. They are all sinners in that spot, but they found redemption like the first son. Uh, the first son, he came home, and he had an eternal place to stay. The shrewd manager never has a home in the story. He's always trying to find one and never lands in one. The first son has an eternal dwelling. The second one perishes. The manager perishes. Communion is that time where we look on to our Savior and all that he did so that we would not perish. And so by faith in Christ and remembering him in our communion time, there's nothing that happens by drinking the cup and eating the bread. It's what's inside as you remember and what you rely on that is everything in the moment you take your communion. So where if the Spirit has sweetly convicted you, bring that before that cross and resolve it there. And don't just seek for forgiveness, seek for deliverance from that thing by your prayers. So Father, as we come before you as a church, become remembering Christ. He's the one whom we turn to that we might find an eternal home, an eternal refuge, with the Father rejoicing over us because of the Son whom he loves and delights in. Grant us the sweetness of conviction that leads on to the gentle forgiveness that leads on to a life 
that has a Godward heart and delights in what you say. May what you say be the air we breathe. May it be sweet meditation on us. But deliver us into that space. Where some here, I'm sure, are thinking that's too good to be true. The cross is where that makes that untrue. And grant us fellowship with our God anew, creating us a clean heart. And grant us a steadfast spirit. And it's for your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and stand with us as we close. Reminder about tonight, the event, 6 o'clock, PM briefing. Our God is greater, our God is stronger, God, you are higher than our God is healer, our sacred power, our God, our God. The darkness. Into the darkness you shine, and out of the ashes we rise, there's no one like you, no like you, cause our God is greater, our God is stronger, God you are higher than any Awesome in power, our God, our God. 
stop us And if our God is with us Then what can stand against And if our God is for us Then who could ever stop us And if our God is with us Then what can stand against Then what can stand God, 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 you are stronger. God, you are higher than any other. God, you are healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God. God, you are greater. God, you are stronger. love you and we praise you this morning, God, and we pray that you be with us as we go from this place, that we remember that in every second of every day that you are with us always. We love you and we praise you, God. Amen. One, one minute. I got my clock. One minute. <laughs> Brian turned 33 today. Since I got 50 seconds left. I've worked with Brian for about 10 years, and it has been a joy. I don't know if you catch it from Brian. He's hating me right now for saying this. <laughs> but what you see is what you get. And that's what we love about you. So on your birthday, you are a gift to FCC. Wait for it. You're dismissed. <laughs> <laughs>